Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. I don't know about you, but losing an hour of sleep hit me a little bit harder than usual. I'm sure it has nothing to do with age, but I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. Can we bring up the first? There we go. I want to draw your attention this morning to the idea of fruitfulness and how there's a call in the scriptures to be fruitful. And I'd like to go a little bit beyond that and talk about how can we position ourselves to maximize our fruitfulness. And when I talk about fruitfulness, I'm not just talking about leading someone to the Lord. I'm talking about the full range of uh, ways that we can glorify the Lord. So let's pray together and ask God to really use this message in our spirits Father, we just acknowledge that your word is living and active, that it pierces our hearts and our souls, and we're so looking forward, Father, to you advancing us and we becoming more like you. Help us to be more and more fruitful, Lord, as the days go by, so that uh, we can glorify you and prove that we are indeed your disciples. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So our text this morning is going to be Matthew chapter 25, uh, verses 14 through 30. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Um, the parable that precedes the one that we're going to read. We're going to read about the parable of the talents, but the one that precedes that is the parable of the lamps, sometimes called the ten virgins. But let's take a look starting in verse 14 at this call to fruitfulness. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. And he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five talents more, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master." The one also who had received the two talents came up and said to him, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid. 
And I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten. For to everyone who has shall more be given, and he who has, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, that in that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The great uh, commentator Matthew Henry said about this parable, uh, well, actually, he said about chapter 24 and chapter 25 of Matthew that this was a farewell sermon by Jesus, a farewell sermon of caution. Um, He said the parable of the lamps speaks to watchfulness and readiness to attend to Jesus at his coming, and the parable of the talents speaks to the fact that we will have to give an account to the Lord when we meet him. Here's a quote by, uh, oh, yeah, by Matthew Henry, saying, the parable of the lamps showed the necessity of habitual preparation, while the parable of the talents speaks to active diligence in our present work and service. I don't know about you, but these days when I'm in my office and I'm praying, I just have this this extra um, restlessness to think about ways that I can be more fruitful for the Lord. Do any of you have that growing in your spirit these days? Anybody? A few. Praise God. Well, hopefully after this message, many more will. Uh, Sometimes I feel like, uh, just kind of like I'm a caged lion, just pacing in my office, just trying to think of who, who, who should I reach out to today? What, Lord, who do you want me to give an encouraging word to? How can I be more fruitful? And I often think of a story I told you several years ago of, of my son, Nathaniel. Um, he played competitive soccer in high school. And uh, we drove him all over the nation, you know, to tournaments. And uh, the hope was, or part, part of it was, uh, this carrot out in front of us that maybe he would be good enough to get a scholarship and uh, get, to, get to go to college uh, for low or no cost. Well, toward the end of his uh, senior year, there was a... Um, a person who came and talked to several teams, high-level teams, soccer teams, and talked about the college scholarship process and how if you were good enough, you would start receiving calls at, ho- at your home from college recruiters. Well, we didn't receive any calls. And uh, I, so I reached out to the person who had led this meeting and said, you know, what's going on? You know, my son is not getting any calls from colleges to recruit him. And uh, he said, well, that tells me that Nathaniel 
was a high-level player, but not a high-impact player. And I've thought about that a lot over the years. And in this context, I, I think to myself as I'm pacing in my study, I, I want to be a high-impact uh, believer, not just a high-level believer, but I want to be a high-impact believer. And by high-impact, I don't mean high-visibility or high necessarily high accomplishment. I just mean doing the very best within my sphere, doing the very best within what God has given me in terms of gifts and resources. Jesus said in John fifteen sixteen, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. So this morning I want to look at how can we position ourselves for maximum fruitfulness within our sphere in the kingdom of God. And I have the belief that um, we can glorify God even more. The more fruitful we are, the more we can glorify him And the more we glorify him, perhaps the more joy we can bring to him, the more joy we can bring to his heart. So let's look at some ways that we can uh, position ourselves to do this. I'm going to jump ahead here. First of all, I think we can make sure that we're abiding in Christ, that we're really abiding in the Lord. Secondly, I want to talk about fully committing ourselves to the morning watch or that morning quiet time, just that moment to sit with the Lord and get his marching orders for the day. Third, I want to talk about exploiting, not just using, but exploiting the gifts that, and, and resources that God has given to us. And then to regularly examine our lives and to add intentionality and planning and thoughtfulness to our abiding in him. So let's look at the first one here, um, abiding in Christ. I'm going to turn to John 15 and read four verses, four through eight, for your Remembrance, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How many of you are convinced of that? Apart from the Lord, we can't do anything. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. And then this is a key verse for this message. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We see that if we make our home in him, if we abide in him, if we live in him, then we will be fruitful 
and have fullness of joy. By contrast, the wicked servant, servant did what? Well, first he hid his gifts and his resources in the ground. One way to think about that is he hid his, he hid his life with God. What God had invested in him, he dug a hole and buried himself. He buried his life with God in the sand and lived his own life. He was afraid. What was he afraid of? Well, he was afraid of, I'm taking a little liberty here, but I'm going to say that he was afraid of a life filled with God. He wanted to hide out. He wanted to do his own thing, and he hid God's money in the ground. And then he misjudged, I think, again, I'm taking a little liberty, but per perhaps part of his um, error was he misjudged the character of God, saying he's a hard man and I'm afraid of him. And then finally, uh, he was lazy, it says, or at least the master said, you lazy slave. Uh, he was lazy in his relationship with God. What does it mean, though, to abide in Christ? Well, to me, it means that, first of all, we've, we've received him as our Lord and Savior. Amen? We have, uh, but to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives power to become the children of God. It means that we are daily acknowledging our sins and repenting of them, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Abiding means we live our lives in Him. Every moment we try to cultivate that relationship with Him. I think of Galatians 2.20. For um, What did Paul say there? It just jumped out of my head. For to, me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Excuse me, that's not right. Get me started. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life for me. And then we glorify him by striving to bear much fruit. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. David, I miss art already. And uh, one of the things I've been thinking about is that art really, I think, in the last couple years of his life had this abiding in Christ down really well. He didn't seem anxious, you know, the last couple years of his life. He just, he just, as uh, somebody has said, he just worked at full efficiency in a relaxed state of faith. For those of you who weren't at his funeral, I want to tell the story of going through some of Art's, what I thought was trash, only to discover this piece of paper that was emailed to his place of employment and they must have handed it off to Art. But it says, um, 
a man wrote to the store saying, I've been going to this store for decades. Lately, the store has hired an older gentleman, possibly close to 70 years old. No young person likes to do trash or keep the lobby looking presentable. But this guy does a remarkable job in doing both. I don't like any business where the trash stacks up and draws flies. This store has had this problem. Just not since this gentleman started, he attacks the trash. And I told one of the older girls today he needed a pay raise. Now I'm suggesting here to you, pay this guy a little more. Guys like this keep people coming back. Good workers are everywhere. Great workers are hard to find. Amen. What a tribute to our brother. And what a... What an example of abiding in Christ. I think of uh, the verse on the screen, Colossians, from Colossians. Do your work heartily as unto the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward. Let's maximize our faithfulness, our fruitfulness first, by making sure that we're abiding in the Lord. Secondly, fully commit yourself to the morning watch. Isn't that a beautiful woman's face as she looks to the Lord? Our own brother Gordon Wright is very strong on the importance of a morning quiet time, what he calls the morning watch. He created this little booklet called The Morning Watch. And let me read to you just the first four lines or so. Every Christian has the personal responsibility to seek and find the Lord first thing in the morning. We need to enter into the day with his companionship, instruction, and strength. This is called the morning watch. It has also been called morning quiet time or morning devotions. And let me read to you those scriptures. Mark 135 represents uh, the passage that talks about, and a great while before day, Jesus went out to a lonely place to pray. Psalm 5, verse 3, says this. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Proverbs 8.17 says, I love those who love me and those who early and diligently seek me will find me. Isaiah 26.9 says, at night my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you early. For when the earth experiences thy judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Gordon quotes uh, Martin Luther who said this, it is a good thing to let prayer be the first business in the morning. Guard yourself against such false and deceitful thoughts that keep whispering, wait a while, in an hour or so I will pray. I must finish this or that. 
thinking such thoughts, we get away from prayer to other things that will hold us and involve us until the prayer of the day comes to naught. How many of you can relate to that? You have good intentions to start the day with prayer, but then you see the news or this or that, and, and before you know it, you're halfway into the day or completely into the day, and it's gone. But just think about being with the Savior in the freshness of a new day. We secure ourselves to the Lord, don't we? We listen to His voice. We take hold of His peace. We get away from the tyranny of the urgent. We strengthen ourselves in Him. We clear away sins. We receive our marching orders and much, much more. I just want to ask you to consider this morning to recommit yourself to the morning watch. If you've drifted from it, um, or it's a, a discipline that's tough for you, I just want to ask you to keep fighting. Keep fighting to have that morning time with the Lord because it is critical, I believe, in maximizing your fruitfulness, in getting your marching orders for the day. A third way to, well, here's a quote from Walt Disney. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. <laughs> I remember in college having to write papers, and I often didn't know what I, what I should do, what I should write on. And I kept procrastinating and procrastinating until I, I would force myself to sit down and start writing. And then something would flow, something would come. That's what that quote reminds me of. Well, the third way to maximize our fruitfulness is to exploit the gifts that God has given us. Let's look at Romans 12, 6 through 13. Romans 12, 6 through 13. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of our faith, if service in our serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, these are all fruits, amen? Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, and so on. In my marriage, um, Laura has often said to me, you be the heart and I'll be the hands. And that's because I'm good with words, I'm good with encouragement and exhortation, but she is wired to meet practical needs. If she hears that someone's in distress, the first thing she thinks about is, do they need a meal? Or maybe I can go up to the garden and gather some vegetables. Or maybe some flowers. Or I'll get them a gift. You know, something. She, she's just wired to do practical things. 
And I think the verse that might haunt her the most is from James. And it says this, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead. Are there verses like that for you that haunt you? It may not be this one, but there are certain verses that are just constant, uh, constantly in the back of our minds that we don't want to do that. And that's the type of verse that is for her. So she says, you be the heart, I'll be the hands. And beloved, her hands are beautiful to the Lord and to me. Now I want to tell you about David Green, who started the business Hobby Lobby. You talk about a man who exploited and is exploiting his gifts. Let me give you a little background about him. Uh, he was the son of a preacher, very poor family. They moved every two years. Uh, he was, his dad was part of a denomination where the minister every two years would go to a different location. Uh, he was one of six kids. He and his brother often slept on a rollaway bed in the kitchen. Um, they never owned a car. All his siblings went into the ministry, but he had trouble all through school. Uh, he was the black sheep of the family. He never went to college, but he insists that he was his mother's favorite. Uh, but he says he found his calling in a five-and-dime store in Altus, Oklahoma. Uh, he just loved um, scrubbing toilets and, and creating displays in the window. Uh, he just fell in love with the retail business. Let me read to you from his book, Giving It All Away, page 37, just so you get a flavor of him. He said, it was at this store, a five and dime, that I found my calling. I probably wouldn't have said those words in those days. I'd been taught that people with callings became preachers and missionaries. There was no category in our theology for people who were called to quote-unquote secular pursuits, like business. Now, though, I realize that a man can be as called to business as any preacher has ever been called to the ministry. That's a good, that's a good phrase that we believe here, don't we? But back in those days, devotion to business proved I was backsliding. The truth is, I fell in love with the retail business. I cranked out price stickers, scrubbed toilets spotless, and meticulously arranged our store's display window late at night like a painter laboring over his canvas. There was a beauty in it all to me. I didn't feel like the business of a store was low or unimportant. I loved the idea of providing what people needed. I found that Presenting goods attractively or making a store an inviting place was a thrilling challenge. I know not everyone who works in retail feels this way, but I had found my life's work, and the evidence was a, the great joy 
I felt in every task. His life motto came from Ecclesiastes 9.10 that says, whatever you, your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it with all your might. Now there's over 700 stores, over 32,000 employees. He is regularly on the famous Forbes 400, 400 Richest Americans list. By the way, he's asked them to not publish his name, but they refuse. His worth is in the billions of dollars. Now, here's why I'm telling you this, is that when he began to think about passing money, his wealth, on to the next generations in his family, he did the traditional thing where you come up with a trust and you divide the money equally between the children and so on. But after he had, had done all that work with all the attorneys, with billions of dollars, he grew uneasy because he felt that um, over time everything would be split to the various children's interests and the money would dissipate through the generations and his business would not be serving the Lord Jesus Christ anymore. You see, he believed that and does believe that his business belongs to God. And so what he did was he created, a, uh, he, he transformed his whole approach and he put all his wealth into a green family trust and that, that, that really can't be sold off. And, so, and then he brought in his kids and his grandkids um, and began to assign values to this fund. Like his primary value is that this money would go towards evangelizing the world. And so here's how he described uh, his fund. He said, the analogy of the tree is the best way to explain what we are trying to do. We think of Hobby Lobby as a strong, fruitful tree. Every season it bears another crop of, say, apples. If we take care of the tree, cultivating the soil around it and making sure it gets adequate water, spraying it, it will yield wonderful fruit. Anyone in the family or even outside the family is welcome to help take care of the tree. If they work hard, they will receive a share of the results. If you are a good janitor at Hobby Lobby, you will get a bag of apples. If you qualify to be a vice president, you will receive a whole bushel basket of apples. Yet understand this, you cannot have the tree. It will never belong to you. It belongs to God. This is what we were trying to achieve with the Green Stewardship Trust. And I'm proud of its uniqueness and the way it honors God. But this basic concept is for everyone. The tree, your wealth and resources, belongs to God. And if your vision and mission reflect this truth, the tree will act as a safeguard for generations to come. So in the Green family, there's this huge amount of money that is not going to be dispersed and dissipated through the generations. 
it's going to be held in trust through the generations to exploit uh, the gospel, to exploit people hearing the gospel for, you know, till the Lord comes, hopefully. Isn't that a beautiful thing? A beautiful example of a man who's exploiting the gifts and the resources that God has given him. And this brings us to the final point, and that is examine your life in order to add intentionality to your abiding in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, the Apostle Paul writes, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? So what do I mean by the word intentionality? That's a kind of a kind of a present day buzzword, isn't it? I'm going to be intentional about this and intentional about that. And yet really it's a great word. It talks it means uh, being thoughtfully deliberate and purposeful in your beliefs, desires, hopes, and action steps toward achieving a goal. You might remember Carly Lloyd from 2015. She played in the uh, FIFA World Cup. She's a midfielder. And uh, in the championship game, they were playing Japan. And we won that game five goals to two. Uh, she scored uh, three of the five goals. And I think, uh, I think at least two of the three, for three were, three goals were in the first 16 minutes of the game. And I think two of those were hers. But the thing I want to point out is uh, one of those goals was a shot from midfield. I believe that's about 50 yards. She saw that the, Japan's goalie was too far forward. And so she shot from midfield and it went over the goalie's head into the goal. But that goal was no accident. Talk about, we're talking about intentionality. Her coach said to her, someday a goalie, you're going to see from midfield that a goalie is way too far forward. And I want you to practice shooting from midfield into the goal. And so she, he made her practice and practice and practice and practice and practice that shot. And it really paid off at the right, right time. Lately, I've been thinking about when I meet the Lord face to face. And uh, do I want him to say, good job, Jim you know, with a smile? Or do I want him to be grinning from ear to ear and say, well done, Jim. Uh, enter into the joy that I have for you. Certainly, I want the latter. And so, I want to show you my list right now. I have a list of sort of current spiritual goals that I'm working on. First of all, I want to be m more courageous in general, and less fear-prone, less worried about what people think, 
and I want to just be more obedient and do what the Lord is telling me to do. I want to spend much more time in prayer. Amen? Pray constantly. I want to, I want to be more bold in my witness for Christ. I want to be able to figure out how more naturally and yet boldly to bring up Jesus Christ in a conversation with someone who may not be a believer. I want to love well, more genuinely and fully. A little way that I'm trying to practice that is, um, you know, I have my prayer list of people that I pray through uh, each morning, but then I'm asking the Lord to highlight one person that I should send a text to that day and say, hey, I'm praying for you, especially today. Um, and then maybe even say a prayer through text. And I've found that that's been a blessing to people. And then to cultivate gratefulness in my life. Uh, we gave all our kids and grandkids this Christmas gratefulness journals. And so Laura and I have been practicing, you know, writing each day three things that we're grateful for at the end of the day. And that's really been a help to develop what I'm calling emotional and spiritual resiliency. There are so many th dark things right now, so many things that can make us sad and overwhelm us, uh, whether it's knowing a friend who's going through uh, a terminal disease or whether it's um, your own struggles or whether it's Ukraine or you know, world issues. Uh, we need to practice gratitude to overcome that lament that we feel so deeply. So, uh, in conclusion, I want to say may we maximize our fruitfulness before the Lord. You know, the old Apostle John in uh, John 3 said, I have no greater joy than this, that my children walk in the truth. But I wonder if there is a greater joy. And that's our children not only walking in the truth, but it gladdens a father's heart. It gladdens a mother's heart when we see our children, whether they're biological or people we've discipled or people we've led to the Lord. When we see those people start to pluck their own fruit, uh, that brings an extra measure of joy, doesn't it? Look at the face on this girl as she's just so excited about the fruit that she's picking. I want to give you an example, the example of my daughter Esther. Recently she has had an opportunity to move forward in her job and I got to tell you I'm proud of all my kids but right now she is kicking down doors and taking names. I tell you what, she works for uh, a ministry called Truckers Against Trafficking. And it's a, it's a ministry uh, that uh, seeks to alert uh, police and sheriff's departments to young women who are being trafficked at truck stops and uh, other transportation centers around the country. Um, 
Let me tell you just a little bit about her organization. Uh, six or seven years ago, she joined this ministry. It's called TAT for short, Truckers Against Trafficking. And it's in all 50 states and Canada. It has a $3 million annual budget. Uh, Esther has testified before uh, US, the U.S. Congressional Commerce Committee. It has 125 corporate sponsors. And you see some of the names up there. You recognize those names. In 2019, her ministry received the Presidential Award for Extraordinary Efforts to Combat Human Trafficking. It was presented by President Trump and by, um, by um, Mike Pompeo. Uh, Esther was not at that meeting. The head of the organization was. But now Esther has been asked to be the executive director of that ministry. And she has accepted. And so here's the announcement about that, um, where she uh, is taking on the role called intimate, uh, interim executive director. The only reason the word interim is there is because Esther requested six months of doing the job before she finally signed on uh, in a more permanent way. So uh, my goal here is not to brag. Well, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> uh, but really, my prayer is that each of us would maximize our fruitfulness in the kingdom of God so that we can bring maximum glory and maximum joy to our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. And really, John 15, 8 captures this. It says, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And here's another picture of the girl with great joy gathering her own fruit. I want to guarantee you that Esther is practicing each of the four ways we've talked about this morning. She is abiding in Christ. I know that her foremost desire is to please the Lord. I know that she's committed to a morning quiet time the morning watch. I know that she's exploiting the gifts God has given her. She's overcoming whatever fears she has about this new position uh, and taking it by the horns. And then she's adding intentionality to her abiding in Christ. She's a great planner and she'll have to use that gift to move this organization into the future. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's just pray over each of these points very quickly. I want to ask um, if there's someone here who has, you look at your life and you say, I am not abiding in Christ. I'm just abiding in my own world. Um, 
and I do want to change that. I want to abide in Him. I want to either receive the Lord for the first time and commit my life to Him, or I want to recommit to abiding in Him, making Him my very first priority, my first love. I want to take my own will off the throne of my heart, and I want to put Christ's will on the throne of my heart. If that captures your uh, heart, would you stand? Uh, We're going to probably all be standing by the end, but would you stand uh, just to make a statement to the Lord that, uh, Lord, I want to abide in you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Many are standing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then for those who have let the morning watch go or have been moving in and out of it and you want to fully commit yourself starting tomorrow morning to make that the first order of business of the day. I'll allow you to get a cup of coffee first, but uh, just to kind of wake yourself up. But but you want to recommit to the morning watch. Would you stand as well, please? I'm standing. Thank you, Lord. And then if you want to ask the Lord to help you find creative ways to exploit the gifts that God has given you, just like David Green, probably not money and great wealth, but other things, other gifts that you have. Maybe they've been on the back burner or you've been lazy or whatever, and you want to exploit those gifts and maximize your fruitfulness, would you stand as well? And then finally, if you want to begin a process of self-examination, of examining your life and looking at how can I be more intentional in addition to abiding in Christ? How can I just evaluate and plan and set goals in order to be more fruitful? and bring more glory and more joy to my Father's heart, uh, would you stand as well? And so, Father, we thank you so much for this exhortation. We believe it's from you, Lord. And so we receive it not from Jim Grinnell, but from you, Lord. And you know what each one is standing in regards to Father, we pray for your grace and your help to actualize all these things, to abide in you, to fully commit to the morning watch, to exploit the gifts. Help us not to be lazy, Lord, but to be restless in pursuing fruitfulness and then adding planning and intention to the things you give us while we abide with you. Lord, it's our desire to glorify you to the, the, the greatest extent that we can with what's in our hand and in our sphere, whether it's our families, just our personal life, our inward life, our worship, 
uh, our commitment to your word, reaching out to others, loving, encouragement, practical needs, whatever it is, Lord, witnessing. Um, we just pray that you would help us to fully glorify you and so prove to be your disciples. We give you all the praise and all the glory now, and we trust in your grace to help us. In Jesus' name, amen.